on today's episode. And you'd be trembling there on the crest of the wave, fearing that the ship was going to break in half, when down, down you'd go again, down into the depths. Oh, there were many times we thought we'd be swallowed up for sure. When I was a boy, we used to have to walk eight miles to the school in the pouring snow, barefooted, uphill both ways. All kinds of tales from all kinds of tellers here on The Appleseed. It's time for The Appleseed. In each episode of the show, we bring you a couple of stories from a couple of favorite storytellers. And the stories will entertain you, they'll inspire you, they'll get you thinking, and they may even help your family tell your own stories. We hope so. I'm Sam Bain. We have a couple of stories for you today about endurance. Our first performance is from Nebraska storyteller Pippa White, who's known for her extensive research in order to craft vivid historical stories for audiences across the country. If you've ever watched Pippa perform live, you'll know she brings hats with her to differentiate between the characters in her stories. She switches from hat to hat as she switches from character to character. Of course, you won't see any of her hats in this performance, but you'll hear her move from accent to accent to characterize the different people who sailed to Ellis Island, many of them over a hundred years ago, in their hopes to immigrate to the United States. Her performance begins and ends with an image of the Statue of Liberty, including a reference to the great Emma Lazarus poem, Give Me Your Tired, Your Poor, etc., etc., the poem that we associate with the Statue of Liberty, one of the iconic symbols of New York City and indeed of America. Have you ever gotten sick on a long journey? Well, this story might be for you. Have you an immigrant story in your family? This may be a story for you. Have you ever wondered about the history of our country, how we came to be the way we are in the place we live? Then this is a story for you. Here's Pippa White with On the Way to Ellis Island, recorded live in the Appleseed Studio. They say that 40% of us now living have ancestors who went through Ellis Island. Isn't that amazing? That's almost half of us. So some of these stories uh, might belong to an ancestor of yours. So this is what it was like to cross the Atlantic a hundred years ago or so. But I'm starting with a poem, one that you'll recognize. Not like the brazen giant of Greek fame, with conquering limbs astride from land to land, here at our sea-washed sunset gates shall stand a mighty woman, with a torch whose flame is the imprisoned lightning, and her name Mother of Exiles. From her beacon hand glows worldwide welcome, her mild eyes command the air-bridged harbor that twin cities frame. Keep, ancient lands, your storied pomp, cries she with silent lips. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. 
the crossing. Oh, aye, I remember the crossing. It was very, very rough. They say the worst possible time to cross the Atlantic is in December, especially if you're coming from the North Sea. It was so rough the very first day out, they would not allow us up on deck. We had to be down below, and you'd be looking through the porthole, and all you'd see would be water. And then suddenly up the ship would go and you'd be looking through the porthole and all you'd see would be blue sky. And you'd be trembling there on the crest of the wave, fearing that the ship was going to break in half when down, down you'd go again, down into the depths. Oh, there were many times we thought we'd be swallowed up for sure. When the weather did clear a bit, they did allow us up on deck. But by that time, we were all so seasick. <laughs> One man vomited his teeth <laughs> right over the railing into the ocean. His teeth came out and they went over into the ocean. I remember too, one night I thought perhaps I could keep something in my stomach. So I went to the dining room and there were only three people in the whole dining room because everyone was so seasick. And there was a gentleman there to play the piano, you know, for the three diners. But the weather was getting rough again. And all of a sudden the ship went up, oh, about 30 degrees. And all the moorings broke on the piano and it flew across the room and crashed into another wall. Oh, I, I remember the crossing. I was 22 years old in 1923. I'm Jeannie from Scotland. There were... And Jeannie thanks you. <laughs> there were no dining rooms in 1903. Not for steerage, not for third class. Batavia. Batavia was the name of the boat. And it never went back. We got water in there right after we leave Europe. And they try to take the water out, but we have to eat where we sleep because water got in that way. Oh, and that leaky old boat, she never make it back. And all the children got measles. And some of them died. And they threw them into the water like cattle. It was a pathetic thing, but they could not ride with the bodies. But I was 13 years old. I never forget that. You can imagine how the women carried on. They take the little body from them and they toss it nice and quiet into the ocean. And our mother hid our baby in a great big apron because that way nobody could see the baby because maybe the baby was going to catch it. Oh, and the baby would cry and people would come and we would say, shush, shush, someone is coming. Oh, you don't know how we suffer. But our baby did not die. Steerage. You know what that is? The basement of the ship. You can imagine down there, oh, maybe 200 people and one big opening and no privacy and one water faucet for all those people and many times it don't work. And herring, that is what they feed us. The little fish, herring, herring. I still have the taste in my mouth. Herring and garlic on bread. They say if you have garlic, you do not vomit and get seasick. Oh, we used to cry to my mama, my brothers and sisters and me, mama, mama, it tastes bad, it tastes bad. And she would say, shush, shush, soon you get good food, soon it be good food. This is how it was in 1903 for Fanny from Russia on 
Batavian. I too travel third class before dining rooms. I was little boy. The first night out, my mama and me, we got adjoining berth. Well, sometime in the night, some crew member come by and he lifted me out of my berth and he put me in another berth with a youngster my age and the berth I vacate, he give to another lady because apparently the ship, she is overbooked. Well, sometime later in the night, my mama, she wake up. You know, I guess always to check on me. Finding I am not there, she started shouting and talking in Italian as loud as she could. She makes such a fusty crew member have to come back to see what is the matter. And she tried to explain why the transfer, where I had been taken ill, what happened to me. So he led her to the place where I am birthed with this other youngster and she taken me in her arms. And she taken me back to her berth, where I sleep every night all the way to New York. When the weather was permittable, the women folk would go up on the deck to wash their hair many times. And my mama does it too. And I got to ask her one day, why you got to wash your hair every day? She telling me, if the inspectors at Ellis Island find even one louse in the hair, you're going to be sent back. Luigi, from Italy, crossing 1909. When I was emigrating to United States, I was pregnant eight months. It was the law at that time that a woman could emigrate no more than five months pregnant. But I was very thin, and I thought to myself, this baby has to be born in United States. So I travel. The 400 miles to Prague, and the American doctor there, he does not speak Czech, but the nurse spoke Czech, and she tell me he wants you to go back home. He said, you are more than five months. But I keep saying, no, 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 five months, five months. <laughs> so they send me to the highest clinic in Prague. Oh, I got so worried, you know. I thought I was going to slip and say eight months. But I keep saying five months, five months. They send me back to the American doctor. The nurse say, he still don't want to send you. He say, you are more than five months. But the doctors at the clinic okayed it, so he was shut up. <laughs> I don't know. I must have been a pretty good liar. Or maybe they just felt sorry for me. But... It was a foolish thing to do. I would never advise anyone to do what I did. On that boat, oh Lord, was I sick. I did not eat for 10 days. I did not move for 10 days. I just moaned for 10 days. There was a steward who used to come in and wipe the perspiration from my face, my neck, my arms. Many times I tell my son, you were almost born on that boat. It was a foolish foolish thing to do. But I wanted my baby born in United States. Vera from Czechoslovakia, across in 1928, age 25. The smaller the ship, the more active the motion of the ship when the waves are very large. I was very lucky, perhaps, because I was born along the River Elba, not far from the seashore. I was on small boats many times as a kid. It did not bother me. But many of the other passengers were desperately ill during this voyage. But 
That was not the bad thing. The bad thing was one fine day the captain announced that the steering mechanism was completely out of control and he could no longer steer the ship by means of the automatic controls from his bridge. He needs to use the old-fashioned wheel that operates the rudder by hand. Well, this is in a tremendous storm where the sailors, oh, three or four of them, must be lashed to the wheel. And in this way, by means of several megaphones, they relayed a message from the bridge to the stern. And in this way, they steered the ship over oh, four days because we are four days late getting to New York simply because of being like a cork on the ocean for so long. Well, this is the kind of thing a young immigrant looks back on as a certain amount of fun. In retrospect. <laughs> Hans, Crosse, 1924, age 19. Uh, my brother and I didn't get seasick. Oh, the weather was perfectly terrible. The waves were 30 feet high, but we never got seasick. We used to go up onto the captain's deck, you know, to see what markings the captain had put on the board, how far we were from New York, what direction we were going, that sort of thing. And one day we got up there, no markings on the board. Next day we got up there. No markings on the board. We were five days in one spot. Oh, the ship was moving. It was moving all over the place. But we couldn't go forward. The weather was so bad, we couldn't get out of this one spot. Well, there was a steward there who had taken a liking to us, my brother and I, because we were young, you know, in our teens. And he came to us all solemn one day, said the ship was taken on water. He'd never seen a storm like this in all his days. And he honestly felt we were going down. And he suggested we go to our room and pack our things. But we said, why should we pack our things if we're going to die? Might as well let the fish have it. <laughs> we took such a different attitude toward the whole thing, such a cheerful attitude. I think it was because we'd been through such hell in our own country. We'd been starving, you know, that I think nothing seemed to matter. I think that happens to a person. You go through a certain time in your life. After that, nothing seems to matter. Everything you meet, you meet in a graceful way. So we said, we shall dance. And so we danced. <laughs> drove the other passengers a bit crazy to see how well we were doing. I mean, we'd be down in the dining room eating like pigs while they were all as sick as dogs. <laughs> but there again, I think it was because we'd been starving. But it was the same with my brother. Sick? Pfft, no. Well, anyway, they SOS'd to New York to send us a ship to get us out of this mess. And they did. They sent the battleship Washington. And that ship never found us. It was 50 miles away. The fog was so thick. The waves were so high. That boat went back without us. But after five days, uh, the weather did clear. Oh, and they began to paint the boat. And the captain put the markings on the board. Nora from Ireland, crossing 1913. We arrived in New York Harbor 
late at night, and it was so beautiful with all the electric lights, and you could see the New Jersey Shore. But they would not allow us to go to the pier because you had to have a little escort boat take you to the pier, and the escort boats did not work after six o'clock. So we had to stay on board the ship and sleep that night in New York Harbor. Well, the next morning, everyone got up very, very early. Oh, at four o'clock or five, we all got up and went up on deck to wait for the little escort boat. And while we were waiting, the sun began to come up. And what did we see? but the Statue of Liberty. And she was so beautiful in the early morning light. The whole boat was crying. The whole boat was leaning toward her, for we were all along one side. And the captain was there saying, please, ladies and gentlemen, will you move to the center of the ship? You'll still see everything. But no one would move. She was so beautiful with the green water and the sun coming up. The whole boat was crying. Well, at six o'clock, the little escort boat did come and take us to the pier. But of course, only the Americans could get off. The rest of us had to wait, you know, for the ferry boat to take us to Ellis Island. Pippa White with On the Way to Ellis Island, a performance recorded live in the Appleseed studio before our terrific studio audience. That story was full of the experiences of people from all over the world traveling to America, hoping for a better life. Pippa's stories about the things people endured as they came to America, those are stories of a very big kind of endurance. And it may seem a little unusual, but hearing them brought to my mind thoughts of a very small kind of endurance, minuscule even, in comparison with enduring the treacherous journey to Ellis Island. But here it is. For years and years... My wife and daughter have directed a summer Shakespeare company for very young actors. Imagine kids, some of them as young as five or six, performing Hamlet or The Tempest. That's kind of what summers are like at my house. I get pressed into service as the sound guy and also the prompter. When a kid forgets a line and stalls, I say the first few words of the line clearly from the booth. And almost all the time, the kid finds his or her place and moves forward on his or her own. People are pretty forgiving in this community. And the truth is that most of the little actors have a pretty good handle on their lines. But then there was this one kid tiny little guy playing Oberon, Lord of the Fairies, in a production of A Midsummer Night's Dream. Hefty role, and in the middle of the first performance of the show, he forgets a line. Well, I read it out to him, and he delivers it, but it's just the beginning. He has forgotten the next line and the next. In fact, as it turns out, he has completely blanked on the whole third and fourth acts. And there we are. No matter how patient the audience, it's a painful word-by-word slog through the last half hour of the play. Oberon sweating, fighting for a word or two, and then looking imploringly at the sound booth. And me, as gently as I can, giving him the next few words over and over again. Endurance. 
it was a long night at the beginning of what promised to be a long run. But you know what? That kid showed up on night two and delivered every line, clearly and confidently, all on his own. I had thought opening night had broken him for good. But it didn't. He triumphed. And I'll remember all of that for a long time, I think. I know that's a tiny little story, especially when compared with the big endurance of people coming to Ellis Island. But for the kid playing Oberon, enduring that difficult opening night, leaning on the sound guy as his gentle ally, setting himself to work towards succeeding on the second night, well, that was for a brief window anyway, his whole world. He'll remember it too, I think. I hope. There are gifts in the memories we take from the things we endure and endure well. I bet some stories sprang to mind for you from your own life or the life of someone you know. Stories have this wonderful way of sprouting and growing as the stories bring up thoughts that grow into conversations. Stories are like seeds in that way. Maybe that's why we call the show The Apple Seed. Coming up, another performance about strength and bravery and endurance from Josh Goforth. I'm Sam Payne. It's such a pleasure to be with you on the Apple Seed. A moment ago, we heard On the Way to Ellis Island, a performance from storyteller Pippa White. And we got another performance here that includes an Appalachian ballad written by the North Carolina singer-songwriter and banjo player Olabel Reed. It's performed for you here by Josh Goforth, along with A Tale of Endurance. Now, the song, of course, is called I've Endured recorded live in the Appleseed studio. Happy to bring it to you on today's episode of The Appleseed. Here's Josh. You know, I, I love going around the country because, you know, I love to hear the different stories uh, from all across the nation. And there seems to be one story that uh, is found in a lot of the parts of the United States, and it starts like this. When I was a boy, we used to have to walk eight miles to the school in the pouring snow, barefooted, uphill both ways. And I always heard that when I was a kid, you know, there's this old feller over there on Big Pine. Plumer Gosnell used to say that all the time. And it always had those elements, you know, walk to school eight miles in the snow, barefooted, uphill both ways. I went to Plumer's wife and I said, he told me that y'all had to walk to school eight miles in the pouring snow, barefoot, uphill both ways. Is that really true? And she said, oh, he's a lying white. Goodness gracious, he's crazier than loon. One year, Daddy bought us shoes, as if the rest of it was true. (laughs) (laughs) And so uh, I got to thinking about that. And you know what? Mountain people did work really hard. And they did have to go through struggle and strife. You know, you got to think about the people in Western North Carolina. These are folks that came across the Big Pond. They landed in Pennsylvania. 
they made their way all the way down the Great Wagon Road along the Appalachian Mountains. And those who got all the way down to North Carolina, North Georgia, they were the hardiest breed, let's say, probably the toughest there was, growing all these crops in hard, rocky soil on the sides of these mountains. And people ask me all the time, they say, well, if you could describe mountain people in one word, what would it be? And I say, oh, that's easy. Stubborn. <laughs> Stubborn like my papa, who you couldn't tell him nothing. As my grandmother say, honey, you just got to let him do. He's going to do anyway, so you might as well just let him. Or stubborn in that I feel like you could have taken my granddad and put him anywhere in the world, and he was strong and stubborn enough that he would have found a way to survive. I look at people like my grandmother, one of the strongest people I know. And I bet you know somebody like this, somebody in your family that's the glue that holds everybody together. Somebody that when you're having a bad day, you know you can call them, and immediately you feel better. Somebody that's positive all the time. I never heard my grandmother say one negative word about anyone. And she's been through, you know, both of her parents having long-term illnesses, seeing one of her brothers die tragically in an automobile accident, her first husband, my grandfather, passing away from a long-term illness, her second husband taking care of him and passing away from a long-term illness. And she, I say, Granny, how in the world do you keep going? And she said, well, honey, you just got to get up, get up every single day and let your light shine. She said, you got to be happy. She said, and help people where you can. She said, that's what I try to do. She certainly has endured. And with that stubbornness comes a sense of endurance. And that's what this song is about from the great songwriter Ola Bell Reed. It's called I've Endured. And every time I hear it, I think of my grandmother. Many heartaches, and I've seen many more. 
And I've lived love and sorrow been through success's door But I've endured, yes I've endured But how long can one endure? Cause I was born in the mountains many years ago And I climbed these hills and valleys, been through the rain and snow and I've seen the lightning flashing and I heard the thunder roll So I've endured, yes I've endured How long can one endure? Oh I've endured, yes I've endured But how long can one endure? That was Josh Goforth with a performance of I've Endured. I bet you have someone in your family that inspires you with their hard work, their grit, their love for others. And I hope you take time to hear their stories, to understand what made them who they are, to remember those stories, and even to share them. Thanks for joining us today on The Appleseed. And thanks to Pippa White and Josh Goforth for sharing their stories. Listening to these stories always brings up memories for me that I love to share. Where did the stories take you? And who will you take along? Our episode today was produced by Brian Tanner, Heather Bigley, and Wendy Folsom. Our audio engineers are Carly Wilson and Ashton Parkinson. Trent Horton and Evie Hendricks make up the rest of the Appleseed team. If you want to send us a note, you can. Email us at theappleseed at byu.edu. That's theappleseed, all one word, at byu.edu. Or if you're listening through a podcast app, rate us. Leave us a little review. It helps people find the show. And, of course, we love to see what you've written. We're pleased and proud to be among the many shows in the BYU Radio family of programs. And you can find this episode or any episode from our archive on the BYU Radio app at byuradio.org slash Appleseed or by Googling the Appleseed podcast. I'm Sam Payne, and I can't wait to be with you again on the Appleseed. Appleseed.